I tell you what, let me let me let me start the way we ought to start, and let's read. Uh, I want to read three verses. You don't need to turn there unless you just want to. Three verses from God's Word. Isaiah forty verse eight says, "The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever." Matthew twenty one thirty five, "Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away." First Peter one twenty five, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. I have here in my hand uh, Brother Floyd Jones. Didn't wasn't Floyd the one that started KHCB? Anybody know? I think Floyd's the one that started that radio station. And usually I don't expect a lot out of Christian radio stations. I, I'll be honest with you. And I might be wrong, and, uh, but that, that's who put this together. It's called Ripped Out of the Bible. 39 pages. You know, you hear so much talk today about, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference what version of the Bible you use. They're all basically the same. They just, you know, they just say things a little bit different, really. 39 pages of differences, and that probably doesn't cover them all because the NIV removes 64,576 words. 17 verses, 45, if you count those that were in, in, installed as footnotes, uh, a major portion of 147 verses totally leaves out Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Just leaves that out altogether. So they're not quite the same, are they? And I'm going to make a statement that I'll probably make five or six times before the night's over. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Things different are not the same. When I commented earlier in regards to the compliment I received that tonight was going to be a mess, this is what I meant. I, for your sake, and believe me, if you knew what I was doing, you would really appreciate the message tonight. Because this would normally take at least well, about four sex, uh, uh, sessions, four services, four messages and I'm going to try to cram everything together kind of in one message tonight. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a bit sure how I'm going to do that. Uh, but you ought to be out by the time the late evening news anyway. Last week, we talked about the development of the Bible the development of the Bible, and uh, you know, I, I know it's not the kind of message most of us delight in hearing, but uh, it's very important that we understand how it came to be that we are in possession of the Word of God. In recent years, the large number of different uh, English versions of the Bible has created a stir that doesn't look like it's going to be settled anytime soon. In fact, books uh, have been written trying to, uh, you know, trying to settle the controversy. One book was called The Battle for the Bible, and uh, still it, the fight rages on. 
And you know, the thing of it is, a lot of preachers that would agree on the major doctrines of the Bible have really become bitter opponents whenever, you know, whenever they or we seek to defend, you know, a particular position in regards to what version of the Bible that we prefer. I certainly don't want to add to the confusion, and I don't want to be unkind, uh, but I want to be right. You know, and that's when you come to an issue like that, it's uh, more than a bit difficult because I'm not a theologian. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, skilled in the Greek or the Hebrew language or a scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just an old hillbilly preacher that uh, was saved under the preaching of the King James Version of the Bible and I've used it for over 50 years and I really don't see any reason to, uh, to change. But there's a big difference between being opinionated and being educated about a matter. And our goal should be to discover the truth and in this case to discover the truth about the truth. And... Uh, prevailing attitude today in favor of all of the modern versions just has forced those that believe like I do into a corner to defend our position on the King James Version of the Bible. That, that just mind-boggling to me, but, you know, it's like, it's like wouldn't they be the ones that need to be defending their use of one of the modern versions instead of us? After all, the King James was around many, many years before their version even come along, and here they are, you know, forcing us to defend our position. It just doesn't seem fair. Well, let's start on some common ground. Let me give you three things that surely would be common ground. Number one, God inspired the original manuscripts. We all agree on that. I mean, that is absolutely obvious, and if, you know, if somebody doesn't believe that, they're calling God a liar. Fact number two is, we don't have any of the original manuscripts. None. Not a one. Fact number three, translating from one language to another can be very difficult. And I say that because it isn't always possible to find a word in one language that exactly corresponds, you know, to a word in another language. For example, sometimes the translators had to use two or three English words to convey the thought of one Greek word. And uh, so it's not like you can do a word-for-word comparison. Now, let me say this, because, uh, and I feel like I need to, because those that have studied this issue any at all are probably familiar with a man by the name of Peter Ruckman. And uh, Peter Ruckman, a lot of good things could be said about him, but uh, a lot of things were not so good. And one of his mistakes, I sincerely believe, is that he taught that the King James Version was inspired exactly in the same way that the original manuscripts were inspired. And, you know, that led to the King James-only type thinking, uh, which is all right unless, unless you believe that 
the King James is inspired exactly in the same way. What we believe is that the Word of God has been preserved in the King James Version of the Bible, but the translators were certainly not inspired in the same sense that the apostles were. So the question then becomes, what English version is the most accurate? And all versions basically come from, from one of two streams of manuscripts. Well, after the flood, I thought I'd lost everything, and I finally found one copy, uh, I guess the only one that still existed, of a little chart I made up. Brother Kenneth, get somebody help him, two or three of you, and pass those out. And I asked Bev to run off some copies of this. And the idea here is that there are two different streams showing on one side how we can trace from the original manuscripts down to the King James Version, and on the other side, showing that forking off of that from away from the original manuscripts and the copy and the copies of the copies, uh, we come up with the NIV down at the bottom. And there's a couple quotes, one from my good friend E.L. Bynum up in the right-hand corner of the page, and and I made some remarks at the end. But that'll give you something that, uh, you know, that maybe it'll just help you to kind of follow along and fold and keep it in your Bible somewhere and give you an idea of what we're talking about because I certainly don't have time to explain everything that I mentioned tonight. When we talk about, <laughs> it's so funny, Last, I guess it was funny, uh, last week, uh, Brother John Dyne came by and said, Brother Stone, do you know what the, what the teens thought you were saying? And I said, well, boy, you know, that, there's no telling because I've been down that road a lot of times because I don't pronounce everything just exactly right. And I tend to chop some letters off and I might add a, a valve on to the end of some, I, you know, I'm certainly not an English major or anything, but... I said, no, what are you talking about? They said, they thought you were saying Texas Receptus. So let me clarify. I'm not saying Texas, T-E-X-A-S, Receptus. I'm saying Textus. Did I get that right, baby doll? Textus. Text, T-E-X-T-U-S. Like a text. Textus Receptus. That means the received text. That means the one that was most in use, the one that was recognized, and that is the that is the Greek text from whence we get the King James Version of the Bible. And uh, you can trace that. I can, I can give you, I've got, I don't even know how many pages here. I had Bev to, to run off pages. I don't know, there's probably 15 pages or more of notes just in regards to that, and I'm certainly not going to try to read all of those tonight, but uh, at least I've got the information in hand uh, if, if need be. So uh, we talked about that a little bit last week. The second stream, uh, there it be on your right in that, uh, on that page we handed out, 
is based on older but fewer manuscripts. We'll talk about that in a little while because, you know, the, the revise, revive, re, revisers argue that uh, because they're older, they're better. But that's really not true. Um, boy, you look at all of these different numbers and what have you related to the number 5,255 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament and the Greek lexicons and so forth, all, all of those uh, uh, that, that exist. And, 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 and you go down beyond that to the various translations, the Vatican, the Sinaitic, uh, Alexandrian, uh, and so forth, and you look at all of those and you think, what in the world is all of that about? Well, it simply means that as they made these translations uh, from, from the Greek that uh, they used different manuscripts. So, you know, if we don't decide what manuscripts are best based on how old they are, what standard do we use? Well, to decide that, we need to do, you know, some research and trace the text back and see, see what particular text was used by the true churches in those days. And so it's pretty easy to figure out just from that little thing right there. You see right kind of smack dab in the middle of the stream on the right, Reams Dewey, 1582. Well, that tells you that's the Catholic Bible, and it also reveals the, the next statement there, Westcott and Hort, that's 1870, it seems like it ought to be 1871, but somewhere around that time, they felt the need to restore the Bible because uh, in their way of thinking, you know, the, that there was no, absolutely no adequate Bible, and so they set out on their mission. They were theologians. They said they were, so I guess they are. You know, that's, uh, I'll, I'll talk about them in, in a little bit because they had some real serious problems of their own. We get the uh, King James from the other text. It's called the the Benzentine text because it was used throughout the Benzentine Empire and according to historians one fellow Alan McRae said shortly before AD 400 the Roman Empire was divided into two parts the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern of the Benzentine Empire within a century after this division the Western Empire came to an end and Western Europe sank into a state of near barbarianism and the Benzentine Empire continued though often in a greatly weakened state until 1453. For about a thousand years, the Greek language was completely unknown in Western Europe, but remained the official language of the Byzantine Empire. Now, the reason that that is important is because whenever you look at the churches that existed at that time, it's real easy to see that we have a major disagreement with the churches you know, that, that use these other manuscripts and the true churches, those that we would agree doctrinally with, use what, you know, we call the Textus Receptus. And uh, 1454, Gutenberg invented the printing press. Well, 
now things really begin to heat up because a man by the name of Erasmus uh, printed the, the, the Greek. This, as I understand it, the first printing of the, of the Greek Bible, and so he printed it. Now, you know, I, I was writing an article the other day about the progression of means. It's really interesting because, you know, we look back, uh, say, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, and think about horse and wagons and what have you. And I believe if we're wise, we'll use the progression of means. I pastored a church that they didn't mind showing still pictures, but I couldn't let a missionary come in and show moving pictures. I've never figured that out to this day. They just thought it was a compromise and it would lead to showing movies in the church. I didn't stay there very long, but uh, but I did spend two years in Tennessee, and that was that was their their idea. Well, it wasn't a major, you know, Bible doctrine or anything, so you know I could live with it. But the fact of the matter is, I think we ought to use the means that God has given us. That's you know why. Somebody says, well, I don't, you know, I just don't want anything to do with the Internet. Well, that's okay. You don't have to. But whether it's radio, TV, the Internet, or whatever, it can be used for good just the same as it can be used for bad. It's like I've always said, you can either eat corn or drink corn, you know, whether you want to use it for good or whether you want to use it for bad. So with the printing press, all of a sudden now we have the means of getting the Word of God out in printed form. And he published five editions of the Greek New Testament, and his work was based on the Byzantine-type text that we've been talking about. And uh, as a result of that, uh, let me... I was looking for the Catholic response to that because they got bent out of shape as a result of the fact that, you know, that now the Word of God was spreading, becoming popular, and what have you. And so they devised a plan whereby, you know, they could, uh, they could, you know, get back in first place, so to speak. And, uh, by the way, in his writings, he was uh, trying to give the Bible, you know, to people where they could read it for themselves instead of depend upon the so-called church to tell them what, uh, what it means. Now, we, as I said, go on and on and on talking about this. And, and I, I could just stand here quoting one writer after another after another. And here's what it all boils down to here, folks. Did God promise to preserve his word or not? Did he? That's why I started out reading the verses I did, because those verses relate to God preserving his word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And so from the beginning, God's word has been preserved, but it's been preserved through copies and translations, because we don't have the original manuscripts, do we? So if it's been preserved, it has to be preserved in copies and translations. So here we are, only, only one of two options that we've got to choose. We can choose the, you know, the received text, the textus receptus, 
or we can choose the other text that was used by uh, the Roman Catholics and uh, the text that in 1881 Westcott and Hort said they were restoring the Bible. Interesting term, restoring the Bible. You know, the interesting thing, and, and I could go a long way with this, but I'll just mention a few things. These men talking about restoring the Bible, and, and by the way, this is what your NIV is based on, their text. And uh, they denied the truthfulness of the first three chapters of Genesis. Really. Uh, Hort embraced Darwin's theory of evolution. And he's restoring the Bible, of course. In addition, Benjamin Wilkinson wrote, Both rejected the atonement of the substitution of Christ for sinners or vicarious atonement, and both denied the death of Christ counted for anything as an atoning factor. They emphasized atonement through incarnation. Wow. So you're going to tell me that God's going to use these men to, you know, produce an infallible text. I, I don't believe it. My good friend E.L. Bynum, again I'll quote from him, and Brother Bynum's up, up in his 90s and still going in Lubbock, Texas. Brother Bynum said, have you ever met a modernist that preferred the KJV? I have it, and I don't expect I ever will. A modernist will prefer almost any version above the KJV. That should tell you something. Think about that for a little while. The other day I was talking about why I believe the Bible, and one of the reasons I believe the Bible is the Word of God is because of the character of those who do. Those, you know, the character of those who embrace the Bible as the Word of God. And you compare that to the character of those that deny the Bible is the Word of God, and there's no comparison whatsoever. So all you have to do is look at what the liberals like, and you'll see it's not what we prefer. Brother Bynum said, It's our belief that God has providentially preserved His inspired Word in the Old Testament, Masoretic Hebrew text, and the New Testament in the Textus Receptus Greek text. We also believe that the King James Version is a true and faithful translation of these two providentially preserved texts. We are not in favor of changing one verse or one word, but believe it needs to be used just as it has come to us. That's exactly what I believe, and that's what this church believes, and what it has stood for all of these years. So that brings us down to the King James Version itself. Benjamin Wilkerson wrote, God, who foresaw the coming greatness of the English-speaking world, prepared in advance the agent who early would give direction to the course of its thinking. One man stands out silhouetted against the horizon above all others, having stamped his genius upon English thought and upon the English language. That man was William Tyndall. We talked about him a bit last week. Because of his great contribution, you know, uh, our discussion needs to 
start with him. He was a brilliant scholar. He could speak seven languages as though they were his native tongue. And he determined that he was going to expose the heirs of Catholicism. And he said to the Pope, If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the Scripture than thou knowest. The amazing thing about that, that's exactly what God did. Amen. They accused him of heresy, burned him at the stake on October the 6th of that same year. And as I mentioned last week, just before he died, he prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And God answered that prayer. So when we think about the King James Version being the preferred version, there are several reasons why we say that. One has to do with time. Another with the translators and then, of course, with the text that we've been talking about. And, and a lot could be said as to the technique that I'll just mention as we close. But concerning the time. Benjamin Wilkinson wrote, Since 1525, when Tyndale's Bible, the New Testament, appeared, the Scripture has obtained a wide circulation. As Tyndale foresaw, the influence of the divine Word had weaned the people away from pomp and ceremony in religion. Kind of figure out who he's talking about there, can't you? But this result had not been obtained without years of struggle. Spain at that time not only was the greatest nation in the world, but also was fanatically Catholic. All the world belonged to Spain. She ruled the seas and dominated Europe. The Spanish sovereign and the papacy united in their efforts to send into England bands of highly trained Jesuits. By these, plot after plot was hatched to place a Catholic ruler on England's throne. And, of course, the Catholic Church is made up of a whole lot of different organizations, each one existing to, to perform a particular task. And in this case, their task, the Jesuits, was to overthrow the Textus Receptus, which Tyndall's work was based on. So they formed what was called the Council of Trent in trying to bring an end to the Reformation, Pope Paul III called the council. And uh, in that council, there are four propositions they condemned. Uh, maybe I should say they first condemned. There were other things, but these are the first four things they condemned. And I want you to listen to this. They condemned the fact that Holy Scriptures contained all things necessary for salvation and that it was impious to place apostolic tradition on the level with Scripture. They condemned that. They condemned, number two, that certain books accepted as canonical as the Vulgate were apocrypha and not canonical. In other words, they want the apocrypha in, you know, they claim that it's inspired just like the other, and we don't believe that. We believe that, you know, there's historical value to it, but it's certainly not inspired because the true churches way up until that time rejected that. Number three, they said the Scripture must be studied in the original language and that there were heirs in the Vulgate. Well, if it's got to be studied in the original language, then we don't stand a chance, do we? Anybody here speak Greek or Hebrew? 
Number four, they said and condemned that the meaning of Scripture is plain and that it can be understood without commentary with the help of Christ's Spirit. They said that ain't true. Well, I don't know. I've been kind of dependent on that for over 50 years. Amen. And uh, so we can see that this conflict was going on until finally King James was petitioned. And this is after England's struggle with Spain. And it said a thousand ministers petitioned King James in 1604 for a new translation of the Bible without any notes or without any comments, just a translation of the Bible. And this was at a time when the English language was established. Brother Bynum said in regards to this, talking about the development of the English language, he said uh, from the above quotation, anyone can see that the English language was in the process of being formed for several hundred years before the KJV of 1611. It was changing fast and quite radically to say the least. Then Benjamin Wilkinson said the hour had arrived. And from the human point of view, conditions were perfect for God to bring forth a translation of the Bible, which would sum up itself the best of the ages. The Heavenly Father foresaw the opportunity of giving His Word to the inhabitants of earth by the coming of the British Empire with its dominion scattered throughout the world and by the great American Republic, both English speaking the English language. Not only was the English language by 1611 in a more opportune condition than it had ever been before or ever would be again, but the Hebrew and Greek likewise had been brought up with the accumulated treasures of their materials to be a splendid working point. The age was not distracted by the rush of mechanical and industrial achievements, and moreover, ling linguistic scholarship was at its peak. And I think it's safe to say no other language in the world has had such a great influence over the last 300 years as the English language. It's the native tongue of millions and millions of people in the second language for millions more. And so I think we can say the, the translation of the King James Version in 1611 came at exactly the right time-wise. And then there's the translators. Man, I... I've got in my library in there several different books giving the historical record of all of this by different by different authors, and it's absolutely amazing the the work and the manner in which these translators gave us the King James version. The king commissioned fifty-four scholars. Only forty-seven actually worked on it, but fifty-four had been commissioned to do so. And Terence Brown, the secretary of the Trinitarian Bible Society of London, wrote, Advocates of the modern versions often assume that they are the product of scholarship far superior to that of the translators of the King James Version of 1611, but this assumption is not supported by the facts. The learned men who labored on our English Bible were men of exceptional ability, and although they differed among themselves on many matters of church order, etc., they approached the task with reverend regard for divine inspiration, authority, and inheritance of the Scripture. 
Scripture to them. It was God's sacred truth and demanded the exercise of most utmost care and fidelity in its translation. The most learned men in the land were chosen for this work, and the complete list shows a high proportion of men with a profound knowledge of the languages in which the Bible was written. And I challenge you, if you don't believe what he said or I'm saying, I challenge you to compare the scholarship of those men then with the scholarship of those who have sat on the on the boards or whatever of those that gave us the new modern translations and uh, I don't think there's any comparison you hear all the time people say yeah but you know who was King James I had one person that said King James was a homosexual so how could how could King James give us a, a good, you know, version of the Bible? Well, he didn't have anything to do with the actual translation of the Bible. All he did was give permission and set forth the rules that were to be followed. As Brother Bynum said, it's King James, not St. James. You know, it's just like Trump is our president, and I'm certain we don't all agree with everything Trump says or what he does or what he did or whatever. But I think we can all thank God for the good things, some of the good things he's doing at least. You see? So all King James did, the, these thousand ministers came and petitioned saying, hey, we need... We need a, a, an up-to-date Bible in the English language for the English-speaking people. And so he put his stamp of, of approval on it. And so the translators were chosen. That brings us down to the technique. And again, this could go on for hours, and I'll try to sum it up. The translators were divided into six companies, two at Cambridge, two at Oxford, and two at Westminster, each working on their assigned portions. Terence Brown wrote, everyone in each company translated the whole portion before they met to compare their results and agree upon the final form. They then transmitted their draft to each other of the other companies for their comment and consent. A select committee then went carefully through the whole work again, and at least two of their number were responsible for the, for the final checking. And if you ever want to really study that out, you can find the book, no doubt, The Men Behind the King James Version. Uh, I think Augustus Payne, I believe, was the author of that, and you can read it for yourself. And that brings us back to the text that we've been talking about. D.A. Waite said the first reason why God's Word is kept intact best in the King James Version is because of the superior text on which it was built. I don't think I need to comment any more on that. I did last week and again this week. It's the they use the better text, you know. And, and the the problem is, you know, they keep saying, "Yeah, but the modern version is based on these older texts." Well, they were older because look, they were not in use, or they were damaged, or they were in air. And the air was recognized by those who had been translating all of these different editions of the Bible. They recognized they didn't use it. They 
found found one in a waste paper basket, I think, at the Vatican or somewhere like that. I, you know, and, and so they were not even in use. And so somebody comes along and finds these artifacts there, these old manuscripts, and they, whoa, these are older. They've got to be better. No, they're not better. They were, they were not used by the translators of the King James Version. You know, they could have used those, but they didn't because they recognized that they were in air. And so it's just that simple and it's that serious. Well, I don't need to tell you the King James Version quickly become, you know, the favorite version of the English-speaking world, and now 400 years later it still is, or I... still ought to be, probably still is, really, if the truth is known. Boy, I'll tell you, it's led to a multitude of people to a saving knowledge of Christ, built the strongest churches in the world, and exalted Christ for over all of these centuries. Well, let me kind of wrap things up by giving you just making brief mention of some reasons why we need to adhere to the King James Version. Because we keep hearing all of this stuff by others saying, you know, well, it would be better off to use a modern version. Well, you know, maybe they ought to think that through. Number one, we ought to use it because it's more accurate. Maybe I ought to restate that. It is the only accurate English version of the Bible being published today. It's not just more accurate, it's the only accurate version. And, uh, you know, that ought to be enough. And I can say that because it's based on a better text. It was more carefully translated, and it is in a more precise English. As, you know, somebody says, well... Yeah, but, you know, I, there's so, some of, so many of those words, you know, that I, you know, that are now obsolete. And I've got to be honest with you. I, there's, boy, especially when I first started, I had a terrible time trying to figure out what some of those words meant. But let me give you some good advice about that so you can figure out exactly what the King James Version means. Get you an unabridged version of the dictionary, the English dictionary, and use it. That's all you got to do to find out what the meaning of the word is, you see. You don't need some new modern translation that leaves out verses and, and, and changes things and, and, and so forth. And it, it would shock you if I just took the time to go through all of these changes that have been made. Some of them are absolutely mind-boggling when you see they attack things like the, the names and the titles uh, and the deity of Christ. It's, it's mind-boggling. And, you know, again I say, things that are different can't be the same. And they're not. Well, somebody says, yeah, those, there's all of those these, thee and thou. Well, that was intentional, by the way. And it serves a good purpose. Edward Hills wrote, he said, in the first place, the English of the King James Version is not the English of the early 17th century. To be exact, it is not a type of English that is ever was ever spoken anywhere. That might surprise some folks. It's biblical English, which was not used 
on ordinary occasions, even by the translators who produced the King James Version. So they didn't take the language of the day and translate from the Greek, you know, and bring it over into the English language. They didn't do that. They used the English language as a tool. He said, even in the use of the thee and thous, the translators were not following 17th century English usage, but biblical usage. For at that time, the translators were doing their work. Uh, the singular forms had already been replaced by the plural you in polite conversation. In the second place, those who talk about translating the Bible into the language of today never define what they mean by that expression. What is the language of today? The language of 1881 is not the language of today, nor the language of 1901. You know, if we keep trying to change the Bible every time a new word comes out, we'll drive ourselves crazy and have everything in a total mess. Once you understand that the these and the thous has to do with the singular and the plural and what have you, so it gives us a more clear description as to the original intent, you'll thank God for it instead of being critical of it. We could say in every way that the King James is more admirable and I'm going to close by saying it's more advantageous. It would just a much greater advantage sticking to the King James Version of the Bible. You think about all of the multiple versions and the, the confusion that it creates. And, and, you know, it's not... As I said, it's not just the fact that some of the words are different, but some of the words and some of the verses are absolutely missing. And so, you know, you, you teach your children to memorize their sections in Awana or in Sunday school, and they memorize these verses. And, you know, what are they supposed to do? Memorize the verses, you know, over every time a new version comes? It's no wonder kids are confused. Reading the Bible, one place talking about the number the Lord sent out and says 70. Another place says 72. Things that are different can't be the same. As I said last week, look, folks, if there are if there is an error in the Word of God in one place, how can you trust it in any place? I mean, you're just taking a shot in the dark. You just say, oh, well, you know, I, yeah, I realize, I recognize that that is an error there that, you know, uh, how are you going to prove there are not some errors other places? We think back over all of these years now that God has used the King James Version in, in an unbelievable way. And I'm... You know, I'm not opposed to the modern versions because they're translations. The King James Version is a translation. I'm opposed to the modern versions because they are inferior. None of them measure up to the accuracy or the beauty of the King James Version of the Bible, and it brings nothing but confusing whenever... The pastor gets up and preaches out of one version and the people are using another version. And uh, so let's stick with what we know 
works. Amen? Amen. Because the Lord, going back to where we started, He promised to preserve His Word. And you think about this, that if, and I think I stated it, I believe, somewhere in this note here, I thought I did, that, uh, yeah, in closing, those who... uh, Embraced the Westcott and Hort text would have us to believe the Bi- that the true Bible was restored in 1881. That would mean we didn't have the infallible Word of God for over a thousand years. Now think about that. All of those years that we would not have had an accurate copy of the Word of God. It would not have been preserved until they come along with the idea... We need to restore the Word of God. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I, you know, I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody because uh, there's just some things worth defending. And, and this is certainly one of them because everything else we believe and everything we do is based on our knowledge of the Word of God. And if we get, get it wrong there, we're going to be wrong everywhere. Thank you for bearing with me tonight, going through, wading through all of this material. And believe me, as I said earlier, you don't know how much you would thank me if you knew what I spared you from. And dragging this out into four sessions and trying to read all of the documentation and the quotations and everything related to it, And let me tell you, I couldn't even do it in four sessions if we really wanted to dig deep in it. I haven't said one thing here tonight that is new. Everything I've said is something that I've learned from studying the subject, and there's no reason for any of us to be ignorant in regards to this matter as to the best version of the Bible. It's out. You say, well, I, you know, I, I've got my own ideas. Well, where'd they come from? You know, you need to sit down and think it out and study it out. And I really believe with all of my heart, if you do that, you'll come to exactly the same conclusion that I did. Right here I hold in my hand a perfectly preserved copy of the very infallible Word of God in the English language. Thank God for that. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said last week, how do you give an invitation after a lesson like that? But, you know, it just might be that something's been troubling somebody all day long. might not have anything to do with our subject tonight. Really, it might not have anything to do with our subject this morning. Just something God's been speaking to you about, and uh, and you know there's a particular need in your life, and this would make a great time to deal with that, and especially if that something is a lack of salvation. God forbid that we just uh, pretend that it couldn't be that way with anyone here tonight, because it could be. And so if you're here and God's speaking to your heart, whether it's about salvation or anything whatsoever, just you feel an urgent need to pray, whatever it is, we're going to have Tim to come and our musicians. We're going to sing a verse of invitation and 
we invite you to come to kneel where you're at or whatever, but do business with God. Let God have His way. Father, how we thank You tonight for having spoken to us and given us Your Word and preserved Your Word. And how we thank You for for not only having it, but for the power of it. Its ability to change our lives, to transform us, to give us the mind of Christ, to enable us to do what we ordinarily could never do ourselves, and to bring us great comfort in a time of need. Heavenly Father, help us to depend upon it for every single need in our life. Now use your word tonight to speak to hearts and change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.